Merry Christmas. It is so good to get to be here with you all. For those that I have not met, my name is Brian. I have the privilege of uh, being pastor here at Grace Monroe and just excited to get to gather on this Christmas Eve when millions of people around the world are coming together tonight and through this day to declare out loud that God showed up. That 2,000 years ago, a baby was born in Bethlehem. And that baby wasn't just any ordinary child. It was God in the flesh, the fullness of God in a human dwelled. And so tonight, we celebrate that truth. We celebrate that reality. And we love that we get to do it as families. We got kids in the room and babies. And therefore, it will be a little chaotic. Praise the Lord. Just like that first Christmas. We just don't have any animals in here as well, I don't think. There's one. But over the last few weeks as a church, we've been celebrating the Advent season and and been lighting the, the various candles each week, recognizing that with the coming of Jesus, God was birthing hope and joy, love and peace into the world. And that each week as we lit that candle of Advent, that we were anticipating what God was doing in the birth of Christ on that Christmas morning. Now, the word Advent, we talked about this, it literally means arrival. It's this expectation of of someone who's coming. I don't know if any of you maybe today had some grandparents or family members show up at the house, and maybe you've got the house all cleaned and everything ready for these guests to come over. Maybe tonight you have some friends coming over after the Christmas gathering to share dinner together. But there's this expectation when, when somebody's going to show up that you're excited about, right? You know that feeling. And, and so Advent, this word arrival, is this expectation of God showing up. And so we celebrate Advent now as this reminder that Jesus came, the arrival of God with us 2,000 years ago. But Advent isn't simply just about remembering what God did a long time ago. Advent is also this expectation, not just Jesus who came, but Jesus who will one day come again. That one day, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. That one day, God will set all things right. One day, he will wipe every tear away from every eye. One day, death will have no more sting. One day... The fullness of God's kingdom will arrive. And so at Advent or at Christmas, we remember not just Jesus who came, but Jesus who will one day come again. But what I hope, those of you that have been a part of worship over the last few weeks, and for those of you who are here tonight, that what we really get about Advent isn't just simply Jesus who came and Jesus who will come, but it's the expectation of Jesus who is here and available with us right now. Jesus, living and active and present. And that expectation of Jesus who wants to show up in our lives. Now, I know around uh, the room, there's probably hundreds of different traditions uh, around your Christmas celebration. And a lot of those have to do with that sort of that excitement, that buildup of, of Christmas morning. And the gifts that will be given. So in our family, this is how it will play out. 
is that tonight when we get home, my kids will, uh, we have four kids, and uh, our oldest is a freshman in college all the way down to our youngest, who's 10, and they will all together build a giant pillow fort up in this little uh, like area upstairs at the top of the stairs. And they will all uh, spend the night, sleep together in that giant pillow fort. And then inevitably, tomorrow morning, they will wake up earlier than Sadie and I. And they will start calling down from the top of the stairs that it is time to get up because they know the one rule about Christmas morning is you do not come downstairs until mom and dad say it's okay to come downstairs. Now, full disclosure, we will intentionally, don't tell them, although they're probably in the room right now, we will intentionally go as slow as possible as we get that fire lit, as we get that coffee brewing, as we get the cameras ready, because we can hear them just at the top of the stairs, almost bouncing off the walls and that excited, expectant energy. Anyone else know that feeling? And then at just the right moment, we will say, it's time. And they'll come tearing down, make that turn into the corner where the Christmas tree is to see what they might have in store for them on Christmas morning. But there's one tradition in the middle of all of that that you may not actually know this tradition, but this is a, 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 a famous historic tradition that our family has taken on. And that is, as they come down the stairs into the tree, the first thing they're going after is not the presents. The first thing they are going after is the Christmas pickle. Anyone else have a Christmas pickle? Hey, yes, I'm not alone. I'm not just the only crazy person on this stage. Actually, I'm the only crazy person on this stage, not in the room. The Christmas pickle is this ancient tradition going back hundreds of years to Germany where uh, historically the legend has it that the families would hide a pickle somewhere in the house. And on Christmas morning, the children would go storming through the house and whoever found the Christmas pickle would get a special blessing and a special present. And that tradition, hundreds and hundreds of years old, made its way over to America. And now we have the Christmas pickle on a tree. And whichever kid first finds the Christmas pickle hidden in the tree is the one that gets to open the first gift. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great tradition. The only problem is it's completely made up. The whole thing is a sham. There's not a legend going back hundreds and hundreds of years. It is not from Germany. The real story of the Christmas pickle is that in the 1950s, Woolworth accidentally, mistakenly ordered a giant crate of pickle ornaments. And as they stood staring into this giant box of pickles, asked themselves, how in the world are we going to get rid of these things? Who celebrates Christmas with pickles? Until one brilliant marketer came up with this genius idea of a legend hundreds of years old coming across from Germany to America of the Christmas pickle. And thus, the Christmas pickle legend was born. And so here we are still looking. Did I just ruin that for some of you that have Christmas pickles? You're like, what? It's not real? It can be real for you. But I don't know what those traditions are, whether real or false. But I knew, do know is that for all of us, Christmas carries with it this sense of expectation, of, of this waiting for this exciting moment, this thing, this unwrapping of something good. But we know that 
the heart of Christmas comes down to the greatest gift ever given, and that was this baby born in Bethlehem. And that with this baby, with the coming of Jesus, God with us, God was giving us these gifts of hope and peace, joy and love, present and available for us even right now in the world that we live in. And so we look back over the last few weeks at some of these stories surrounding Christmas, that first Christmas 2,000 years ago. We, we looked at the thrill of hope embodied by those wise men that made that long, treacherous journey guided by the star in heaven pointing them to a new, the true king of all kings. And how we saw how hope is what sustains us in difficulty. And that is hope that moves us forward in expectation of an encounter with God. We looked at the presence of peace and this man, Zechariah, who would be the father of John the Baptist, whose heart was longing, broken over the barrenness of his wife, old in age but without children, longing for a child of their own, but having given up hope, God shows up in the midst of their pain with a word of peace, but that he's not able to receive it. And so God gives him this gift of silence for nine months. And in that silence, God is able to give him true peace. Peace that isn't simply the absence of conflict, but peace, shalom, that is wholeness, rightness, God's will being done. And in that silence, the only conversation that he could have was with God. The voice he needed to speak into his pain to speak into his longing, to speak into his struggle, to bring peace into his heart. Then we looked at the availability of joy, and we looked at the amazing story of the shepherds in the field, that the angelic messengers came and proclaimed good news of great joy for all people. And we saw how God shows up, even for the forgotten, for the dirty, for the broken, how God shows up, and it's his availability, his desire to be with us, that is true joy. We look at that definition of joy as being that when somebody's face, that feeling when somebody's face lights up when they see you. You know that feeling, right? That feeling somebody delights in you, is excited to see you, and this good news of great joy that God spoke through these angelic messengers is that the God of this universe, his face lights up. When he sees you and that he is willing to do anything to reconnect his heart to the heart of his children. And last week we looked at the arrival of love and Joseph and Mary, this young couple and their confusion and their fear that God showed up with this promise that through them would become the savior of the world. That this is the gift of God in Jesus. The Gospel of John begins with these words, and I want to read this for us, for our Christmas story for tonight. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Now there was a man sent from God, and his name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about that light, that all might believe through him. Now he, John, was not the light, but he came simply to bear witness about the light. But the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, this eternal word, the creator of all things, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the Christmas message, that it wasn't just a baby born in Bethlehem, but it was God himself, the word who became flesh, that God took on the skin of humanity, entered into our broken, dirty, dying world that we might have life. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. Not just a cool story that happened 2,000 years ago, but a story that is happening, that's available now. And the expectation of Christmas is that the hope, the joy, the peace, the love of God is available for you and I in Jesus right now. Now and for all eternity. Three chapters later, Jesus, the word who became flesh, is having a conversation with a religious scholar, a guy named Nicodemus. And it says that Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark of the night. And I love that that Bible specific about that. While it was still dark, while he didn't have any light, Nicodemus shows up to ask Jesus some questions. And as he's talking to Jesus, Jesus makes this shocking statement. And what he says is that no person can come to God unless they're born again. Now, Nicodemus is a smart man. He's an older man. He's seen a few things in his day, and he knows this is a ridiculous statement. How can somebody, having been born once, ever get born a second time? And so he asks Jesus. He knows Jesus is a good, a smart teacher, is a prophet of God, bringing the word of God, knows he's a miracle worker, doing all kinds of signs from heaven. And so he says to Jesus, how is this possible? How is somebody like me supposed to enter back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus' answer, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. Truly, I say to you, Jesus said, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that we don't need to be born again a physical, in a physical way. But we need to be born again by the Spirit of God bringing life into our dying souls. That we need God to show up in us just the same way that he showed up at Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That we need the, the living presence of God in us, for us. So how does that happen? Well, a few verses later, Jesus makes this familiar statement, almost so familiar we can lose sight of its meaning. 
John 3, 16. How are we born again? Well, hear these words that you've probably heard a hundred times. But think about these words tonight, Christmas night, in maybe a fresh way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. How are we born again? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. One of my favorite ways to, to study the Bible, just a little tip for you is on this Christmas Eve, is to read a verse. And as you read the verse, to put the emphasis on different words in the verse. And so let's just take this, uh, this verse that's so familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But say it with me, but put the emphasis on God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now do it again, but this time put the emphasis on loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do the same thing again, but this time put the emphasis on the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So why do I walk us through that little exercise? For God so loved the world. The creator of the cosmos, the most powerful being that's ever been, without a word, brought the world and all of the universe into existence, who knows all things, sees all things, and can do all things. The God over all things, this is the God that loved the world. And this great and powerful God, for God so loved the world. His heart towards the world isn't a heart of condemnation. His heart towards the world isn't one of punishment or judgment. God's heart towards this world that he made that rebelled against him, the brokenness and the dirtiness and the shame and the fear and the loneliness and the fear and the doubt for God so loved. His heart is turned towards you and it has never turned away from you. For God so loved the world, not just the special, the elite, the, 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 the blessed ones, the smart ones, the good ones, the right ones who do all the right things and say all the right things and know all the right answers, but no, to some dirty shepherds in a field and, and a confused theologian, to, to a scared teenage couple. God shows up in our shame, in our fear. God shows up when we've made all the mistakes and our regrets. For God so loved the world, all of us, every one of you, regardless of what you did yesterday, regardless of what you did 20 years ago, he knew it all. And 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world that he showed up. And when he showed up, what did he do? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He was willing to sacrifice everything. The gift of Jesus being born in a manger was that he was born because he came to die. He came to pay the penalty for the sin, the debt that we owe that separates us from God, that we might be forgiven. This is the gift of Christmas. God with us, God for us, God in us. For those who are born again, for those who receive God, he gave the right to become his children. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through him the world might be saved.
This is the hope of Christmas. This is the message of the Christmas story. A baby born in Bethlehem that we might have God born again, that we might be born again in God. Colossians 1, 20 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The message of Christmas is this, the availability of the presence of God for you and with you and in you. This is the hope of that Christmas morning. Christ in us, the hope of glory that we get to be a people reconnected to God, filled by his spirit, born again as his children. I mean, this is the spirit of God that's at work even in this room, even right now. I love the stories that we've been celebrating over the last few weeks, the stories of, of God alive in people's hearts, bringing peace and hope and joy and love. I love the story of one of our uh, members, Nicole, who felt prompted by God to engage uh, to help the fatherless in our community and, the, and to watch the community, our church, rally around her to build teams of care and support for foster families, many of whom don't have a church family that they belong to, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this neighborhood, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I loved it when, when Abby and Denise shared, or at dawn, I mean, sorry, shared their stories of God bringing healing and hope into the brokenness of their lives and now standing in a place where they bring hope and healing to others because God met them they are now able to show up in the same way for those who struggle. I love that two days ago, I got a text message from a couple of young guys in the church that with the cold weather coming in, we're, we're wrestling with how can we help those who aren't going to be able to get warm. And so they were felt led by the spirit of God in them, having been reconnected to the heart of God in their own souls, now being the hope of God for the sake of others. And they're like, well, this is what we can do. Maybe we can show up on the street corner with some blankets and some coats. And so within a few text messages and a few posts later, within five hours, we didn't just have a few coats and a few blankets. We had a room full of warm clothes and blankets and space heaters that went out to dozens of families in this community. That was two days ago. Why? Because God keeps showing up. This is what God does. It's not just a story that happened. It's a story that is happening. That we encounter the love, the hope, the peace, the joy of God in Jesus. And then we become the kind of people that bring that hope and joy and peace and love into a world that desperately needs it. So where is God wanting to show up for you this Christmas Eve? And where is God inviting you to show up for others this Christmas Eve? That it's not simply about the presence under the tree. It's not about the Christmas traditions and the cookies and the Christmas pickles. It's about the creator of this universe who has made himself known in the person of Jesus. Who wants to show up in your life and through your life show up for the sake of others. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to continue on and worship together. And in our last song, as we sing the final verse of O Holy Night, one of our traditions here at Grace Monroe is the lighting of the, of the Christmas candles.
That picture of the light of God, as John 1 says, the light has come into the world and the darkness has not put it out. The, the language there is actually stronger than that. What it actually is saying is that the darkness has not, cannot, will not ever be able to put out the light of God. And so we light the Christmas candle and we watch that candle spread as candle lights, candle lights to candle light to candle light until this whole room is filled with the light of that Christmas candle. In the same way that little light born in Bethlehem, 2,000 years later is still showing up and bringing light into people's hearts and lives. And through people is bringing that light for the sake of others. And so we'll light that Christmas candle and we'll pass the light to each other as that physical picture of what God is wanting to do in a very real way, even tonight. So will you stand and pray with me? So Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the Christmas story. But that is so much more than something that happened 2,000 years ago. We thank you that you, God, took on flesh and moved in. That you entered our broken world that we could have a, a face to go with your name. And that your face turns towards us. That you opened up your arms wide to receive us. That you sacrificed your life that we might be forgiven. And so, Lord, I pray even right now, if there's anyone here that has not opened their heart to receive you as their Lord, as their King, as their Savior, will you come in even right now? May they open their heart to receive you as a child, to be born again by the Spirit, to receive your forgiveness and your grace. And, Lord, I pray that as your children who've received this gift of your presence with us, that we might become your presence out into the world. And so even as you're changing our lives, would you use us to be a change, to be transformation for others? So Lord, this Christmas Eve, may it not be just simply words that we say or songs that we sing, but the reality of an encounter with you, the living God, in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.